This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Oboe Radio, the heart of it all on the Contact Talk Radio Network, where we explore the power of love, unity, courage, and compassion. Are you ready? Join the Oboe team to focus on solutions, sacred practices, and the key players who are busy creating a world that works for all. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. And I'm your host today, Sherry Herndon. It's a great pleasure once again to be with you, to create a deep field for us to explore and discover and receive the insights and wisdom of amazing people around the world who are really have been involved with Lots of different experiences and journeys of their own uh, and insights in order to bring those to us on Heart of It All. So I'm grateful again for another chance to share. And this week, you know, the one of the ongoing themes for Heart of It All and this show for the last two and a half years has been around... This transition time that we're in and where are we going and how are we creating this new world from where we've been and where we are in this present moment and there's so many different ways of doing that and we're always I love having conversations with people who have another way in and I'm very excited about my guest today I've known of him. His name is Clinton Callahan. I'll introduce him in just a moment. I met him a couple years ago um, in a really beautiful context um, through the Pachamama Alliance and four years ago when that was, they were birthing that. And I just got to witness his leadership and his vision and his capacity. And I just knew, wow, he's amazing and uh, really appreciated him from afar. And uh, lately, he's been coming back into my field, and then I had an opportunity to invite him to be a guest. So let me introduce you to Clinton Callahan. He originated possibility management, which I love this concept, in 1975. So he's really obviously quite a pioneer. That's an open code, thoughtware context that sources an evolving set of tools and processes for initiating human beings into free and natural adult cultures. We're going to dive into those waters, don't worry, because we've got initiation, free and adult, natural adult cultures. This is what we're yearning for. Clinton was born in America in 1952, but he relocated to Europe in 1995. He is a mimetic engineer. He is a fundraiser. We need to combine those fundraisers and fundraiser all together. And he's a global transformation strategy and tactics synergizer. 
of course I, I like him. That's, this is like so resonant for me. Clinton is married to Marion, a global village weaver born in Germany, who also designs transformational processes and spaces. Together, Marion and Clinton founded Next Culture Research and Training Center, and they developed Expand the Box Trainings, Possibility Labs, and Trainer Labs. And they wrote Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings and Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And that was written in both English and German. Their work bridges, their work builds bridges, leading to a sustainable human presence on Earth through upgrading human thoughtware. Most recently, they have been serving communities such as Schloss Gadaseg, hope I said that right, Tamara, Armonia Brasovia, Tempelhof, and Zeg. And they are working with a film team on a documentary called The Emergence of Next Culture. One of my favorite topics. Awesome. Very inspiring, Clinton. Just learning more about you. Welcome to Heart of It All. Thank you, Sherry. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, this morning I was in a, a, a synergy conversation, a generative conversation between JASA Labs and New Map Meta Hub teams and um, this this notion of a new operating system for planet Earth was one of our one of the themes and I really want to just take us into the fact that you're talking about upgrading human thoughtware. We often think of software and codes and open source codes, but you're using this in a very particular way, and I'd love to just enter into your world through the notion of thoughtware. You know, I, one of the things that made me excited and made me laugh was looking at the header at CTR Media Broadcasting, because under the byline, it says consciousness in action. And in our work, that that consciousness in action is equivalent to responsibility. Responsibility mm. is consciousness in action. And and that dovetails exactly into your question about thoughtware. And because uh, because the thoughtware that's gonna bring a sustainable human presence on earth is thoughtware that's based in responsibility. And that would be adult level uh, thoughtware, and you know it's a it's a bizarre kind of language to be speaking. Actually, I mean most people don't use half of those words in their ordinary daily vocabulary. But I think it's so important to consider these questions and consider where what we think with originates and what its purpose is, and what else is possible for us to use to think with. Because this, the magnificence of the of the human mind and the human physical body, the organism and the and the human senses, all those senses that we have, this the magnificence of that um, should not be considered to be limited to the, the thoughtware that was given to us by our parents and by modern culture. How's that so, for? That's beautiful. Starts? I love the. Um, it's all good. I. 
maybe we'll just dive into this notion for a moment here of mm-hmm. taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. I love the in in open space uh, technology, which mm-hmm. we've talked about here on on the show. Um, it's you take responsibility for what you love, and I really love that you you tie thoughtware to taking responsibility. And so, can you speak? Can you clarify for us so that people really understand <clears throat> this? You know, you're talking about thought maps and thoughtware. And, you know, I think about worldviews and our, the perceptions and the filters and the programs that, that we have running, going on inside of us through our culture, families, mm-hmm. everything. Um, but I, I think we just want to make sure that we have a shared language here through which we can play together. Mm-hmm. So, so what was your question again? Oh, just, just a about little re- more in depth about thoughtware, so people are really clear. You kind of it was it was. I would just love a little bit more about what what is thoughtware. So, for example, we have an understanding of what responsibility is. For example, and if you know, I was born and raised in modern culture. I was born in Kansas. I grew up mostly in California. I went to college. I got the whole download from television, from from Los Angeles culture, from from United States culture. I got the whole download, and included in the download is a uh, is the way that I relate to taking responsibility. And it, it wasn't for years before I figured out that in fact what the way that I understood responsibility could be altered it could be enhanced it could shift and it when i started to realize that in fact all through school for example in even at the jobs that i had uh the i was taught in subtle ways that the smart thing to do is avoid responsibility avoid paying as many taxes as i can avoid paying the true costs of things, learn to externalize costs to future generations or externalize costs to the society at large or externalize costs to third world countries who can't defend themselves. You know, these, and this was the way to make a profit and this is the way to be successful and this is a certain set of thoughtware and a relationship to responsibility. The way I thought about responsibility was what I was given from modern culture. You know, if I came to school late and didn't have my homework, if I didn't have a really good reason, I, I would get uh, punishment. I would get bad things. But if I could come up with really good reasons of ways to avoid responsibility, I could get away with it. So getting away with things and avoiding responsibility is so tightly woven into the, the fabric of modern mm-hmm. culture. It's, it's horrifying. But mm-hmm. then, then all of a sudden to realize, well, well, I could have a different relationship to responsibility. So then the way I'm thinking about responsibility could change. And it puts, rather than being punished or being blamed or being guilty or being having to pay or being stupid, responsibility uh, turns into a gateway to being at source, to being one with, to being, to being the creator, to being able to choose. It's an honor it's a privilege to be responsible. It's a, like you said, a leadership role. It's a, it's an earth-changing shift in my inner 
being, you know, the way that I regard responsibility puts me in a different relationship to the entire universe. And that's it's a subtle, simple, straightforward example of what I mean by upgrading thoughtware. Those are two different worlds created by the way I think about responsibility. Right, and that is the, you see that as the basis for how we can actually create a new culture. Exactly. <laughs> so, speak to us about the work that you, you have so many beautiful offerings and you obviously have been doing this work for a long time, possibility management in 1975, that's like really at the leading edge of, of um, this kind of transformation work. We're really getting people to observe and witness how what the operating system is that's moving them to whether no responsibility really or avoiding or really diving in and taking full responsibility for being a, a, a natural human i love this term of a free and natural mm -hmm. ad adult culture i mean how, where where do you see these in our world right now uh let me just talk about that term for a second the Perfect. we um you know i be i began this work in the 70s and so i was really kind of desperately looking around for who, who are our co-researchers Mm -hmm. And at that time, the, the best things I could come up with, some of them came from Dr. Eric Byrne, who was the originator of transactional analysis. And he had become uh, w well known for his parent, adult, child, ego state thought map. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Many, many people have seen mm -hmm. that before. Mm -hmm. So so this was a breakthrough for us to consider uh, I could have different identities going on. I could have a parent identity, and I could have a child identity, and I could have a, an adult identity. And I didn't realize what a fundamental way of um, navigating my inner experience that was until some years later when I realized that the adult ego state was actually the gateway to an entirely, uh, like a an an whole other way of relating to the world that was... I, I call it archetypal way of relating. So the archetypal masculine and the archetypal feminine, you only get to that experience through the adult ego state. And there was all this kind of sloppy sloppiness uh, in thinking about this, this because people thought that the best, um, the best state to be in was a free and natural child ego state where we can mm. be happy and playful and creative and but the but the fact is when a child makes a mess who cleans it up the answer is the adult cleans it up and so a, a free and natural child can't make as big messes as an adult a free and natural adult can so a free and natural adult can make huge messes and clean them up because it's part of the creative process to try things that work or don't work and then take responsibility or seeing what didn't work, receiving that feedback, shifting, and trying the next level. Whereas the child is stuck in their own little messes because waiting for somebody else to clean them up. So this free and natural adult uh, experience relationship to the universe puts you in a, a, a very uh, 
different relationship than modern culture leaves us because you know modern culture is making huge messes huge huge messes with no intention at all of ever cleaning them up in the world modern culture is leaving these huge messes and so modern culture is centered on child level responsibility whereas what we're talking about is taking adult level responsibility it automatically puts you at the edge of modern culture like you're at the fringe you're a fringe person if you take adult responsibility and um and that's scary for people and so when we started researching back in 1975 we didn't know any of this stuff and we found ourselves afraid to do the kinds of edge work experiments that we were called to do to develop free and natural adult culture and yet so we had to start dealing with feelings all of a sudden people were people were afraid people had blocks people had resistance people had uh things like that so we had to really um all of a sudden face feelings which was a total surprise for us I can keep talking but yeah. no 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 it's it's good i i'm i didn't want to interrupt you um yeah so that's a great just that level of awareness of the shift from we're at a child level kind of develop it's almost like our culture has kind of kept us in this child uh level of taking responsibility or being in the world and then there is this shift to adult and with that shift do you see the shift when that shift happens for people and i i'm assuming in your work and all the trainings that you do with expand the box and um and others we can like speak about that possibility labs that mm-hmm. there's a that is this one of the fundamental shifts and then to from child to adult and then you start to open up this whole realm of like wow the our emotional intelligence is that what gets like then opened up that then you get to play with in that field it's actually uh opening up the emotional intelligence is the bridge that nice. we okay. that we use. Mm-hmm. it's it's really uh it's a, it's a, it's an incredible uh and and see how you say it step by step kind of sustainable guided process in an extremely safe place of the training mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through which we uh we call it lowering our numbness bar mm-hmm. modern culture mm-hmm. has forced us to have a very high numbness bar so we can even go to school for example and sit in chairs you know mm-hmm. 8 hours a day and do what they tell us to do rather than mm-hmm. really learning what we need to learn we have to have a huge high level numbness bar blocking mm-hmm. out all of our feelings and so we're saying okay we're going to ask you to start lowering your numbness bar and see what you feel mm-hmm. but we have instead of this old thought map of feelings that says well anger's bad and fear is bad and sadness is bad and and actually you know feeling really glad is not so great either because you disturb people or people get jealous or people think you don't have enough work to do or you're not taking life seriously so actually you know modern culture teaches us it's not okay to actually feel at all and we're mm-hmm. we're going we're presenting a, a completely new relationship to the inner experience of having feelings where actually these are resources of energy and information that you need to use in your daily life to deliver what you came here to deliver mm-hmm. and that's and that's this process that's where the adult comes from it's like mm-hmm. if i take responsibility for my feelings the adult shows up rather than um suppressing blocking my feelings with a high numbness bar 
for all the technologies that modern culture has for numbing out, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the television, the over-shopping, the busy, busy working, the over-exercising, I mean, all these programs for numbing out. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a significant shift just to even begin the lowering the numbness bar and the beginning to feel process with clarity and inner-navigating the feelings. And then that's where the adult starts really showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love... I love the this notion of creating transformational spaces. Mm. So the conditions uh, that we can create, you know, you're doing it in so many ways with your trainings and workshops. And I also know that, you know, we're seeding these transformational spaces all over. So people who've yes. been through your workshops, they're, they have these capacities. And there's many other kinds of very higher order trainings like this that are popping up um, mm. all over and we're so grateful for because it, it just yeah. helps everyone wake yes. up into a more to their our maturity you know mm. um, you talk about safety and I, I want to just I want to speak about two things one is this idea of transformational obviously there's a powerful processes you've been developing and cultivating and that I love that you think of yourselves as like you know these these edge work experiments and labs because we really are living labs like our, mm. our our bodies our ourselves our relationships we're all we're like we're we're experimenting with ourselves and um and you clearly created spaces in your own life in order to understand um how to then offer that to others? So you can't do that. You can't teach unless you've really gone through it yourself. Um, mm. What has been? What do you see as one of the key ingredients for creating those conditions in which uh, this transformation can show up? It's a. It's a, For me, it's a little bit of a sad question to answer because mm -hmm. there are, are so many of the things that we've been working with that we. I, you know, I could have learned, I could have started learning about them when I was a teenager, when I was 15 years old or so. Mm -hmm. And, and it took me decades before I even had a hint that, that this mm -hmm. could happen. And I think so many of us, so many of us expected some kind of a surprise when we were 18 years old or something. You know, we're just waiting mm -hmm. for, okay, something big has got to happen here. Something big's going to happen. And we wait and we wait and, we get a driver's license and we can vote and smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and that's it, you know. And that and the, where where's the shift? Where where's how do I get out of this cocoon that I'm in, you know? And everybody just goes la di da through their day and says, "What's get a job, you know?" And and life goes by. But um, but it's a sad question to to go. Did you know you could take responsibility? For the right principles in the energetic space where you're working. Did you know this? And it's just like, no. How do you do that? Well, you take responsibility for declaring the characteristic qualities of the energetic space that you work in. And all of a sudden, you can shift space. You can shift the qualities of the space that you're working in such that other results are possible. And an example I like to use is if, if any of the listeners have, for example, uh, had the fire walking experience, many people today are able to just access um, somebody who can do that for them. I did this back 
way back in Sacramento, back in the 80s. Uh, and it was a scary thing for me because I was a physicist. I studied physics and I knew at what temperature coals burnt, you know, oak, oak wood coals were with a breeze on them are pretty hot. You know, they can melt aluminum down. I mean, I know the temperatures and I, I've, I've singed enough of the hairs off of my hand from getting halfway close to a flame to be very um, cautious about heat and burning coals. And here I am standing across really a, a five-yard, you know, 15-feet-long strip of, of that were almost burning my face. And the, the man who was holding that space said, don't look at the coals, look at me. And the moment I looked up from the coals and into his eyes, I could feel the entire space shift. And when that space shifted, it was absolutely easy to walk barefoot across these coals because uh, because it's the space that determines what is possible. <clears throat> and this learning that the space determines what's possible is such a stunning and outstanding and joyful realization that I can take responsibility for the, the qualities of the space that I hold and in that space is what determines what's possible. And mm -hmm. this is just astonishing you know, a place for a human being to stand, an adult man or woman to actually take responsibility for the space. Yeah, it's like the, it's really, when you speak about, I was thinking about looking into the eyes of mm -hmm. um, this man who is guiding you, and That's I recently had an experience, my first experience with Ama, the hugging saint, oh, yeah. and... Uh, Lucky you. Just recently, yes, I had a, I have received a, an incredible hug, and then I was waiting to for my mantra, and there was a moment where she was turning, and the way I was positioned and where I was sitting right very close to her um, after having received a hug, and she was giving whispering the mantra into someone's ears, and she her eyes locked onto mine, and mm. it was. Uh, I felt like I, it was almost like everything dissolved and a, a whole new field was there, as you said. So there's something about, I mean, that's a, a special situation with, you know, a, a very high, um, highly was, developed being, highly developed, beautiful being. Yeah. Um, but the eyes, I was just thinking about how we actually, you know, with eye gazing and what happens in the space between two people when we, we actually create a different field for each other to connect. Because you also do this work with people where you, you open them up. You know, it's like they get, they get skills for, um, they can develop new skills with, for this new culture that we are actually mm -hmm. in the process of creating all the time um, how does the how does this connection between two people how do you see how is in your work how are you nurturing that for um, these possibility labs or in the other mm -hmm. workshops in a couple of ways you know we know that where you put your attention that's where your energy goes right so a lot of the ways we place our attention is with our eyes. And so when you put your attention on another person and 
your being a particular kind of a space through which, for example, love, the bright principle of love is occurring. If you're holding this space through which love happens and the other person is doing the same thing, then what you have happening there is an amazing experience that you can feel in your body. And uh, it's this um, reciprocal recognition of love experiencing love. So we call this countenance. And it's, it takes some practice to get mind out of the way enough to navigate into this countenance space where you're, you're actually serving this archetypal love becoming conscious of itself and feel it in your body actually. You, you just, I want to, I want to, this is good because you can feel it in your body. You just said love becoming conscious of itself. Yeah. So I'm through a human being through, and it only happens with two people. You need two people to do this. It doesn't work with just one. And it happens right. through the eyes. Mm -hmm. This is really good. So, um, as ever, everything here is just really nurturing, very nurturing and important. Um, so I'm just going to invite everybody listening right in this moment, wherever you are, just to receive that, what Clinton just shared with us about love, experiencing love and love as itself through the eyes yeah, of another. Becoming conscious of itself, yeah. Becoming conscious of itself. So what I also want to invite people is to just notice as you go through your day and tonight and tomorrow and the next days, how are you looking at people? Because mm -hmm. I think about, you know, I, I think it's this numbness, you know, you, you some of the work that you talk about, these next culture skills of listening, speaking, feeling, experiencing, and interaction, um, you know, those those feel like skills that, we just pick up and we do and yet how often are we really listening or how do we really know what we're speaking and our needs and our sense of um clarity around our feelings so these are like it's almost like there's a fundamental new rewiring that's going on um for us and uh, as if we're like in a new kind of school mm. And uh, and that the eyes, like if we just gave ourselves more presence into when we looked at people. Mm. Um, and I, I just love that you name it that way about love experiencing itself. Yeah, this thing when when this when you experience that, and and it's intense. It's very intense, and to stay there and keep breathing. And stay in that space and in that that consciousness of love arising there in this contact through countenance. I, I think if a person experiences that, they can't do they can't do war anymore. Mm -hmm. This is this is more interesting than war. It's really I I think uh, the entire modern culture would collapse were were its citizens to experience countenance because something would be far more interesting than television and shopping and competing with your competitors or whatever, sports, all these things would just become 
kind of irrelevant in comparison. You describe, you use, you use the term countenance and a, a lot of associations come up for me. Can you please define that for us? It's the name for this experience, the bodily felt experience. Some people, it's a vibration, like for me, it goes through my whole system, my whole nerve, the whole, my whole four bodies, I'd say, you know, my, my mind, my, my heart, my physical body and my energetic body, this whole thing just sort of hums at a different whatever frequency. And it's just like it, so countenance is the, just the name for love becoming conscious of itself through two human beings in eye contact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this. Like, so we have a way of actually feeling it within our bodies because I think um, what I'm also hearing you name is this embodiment piece that we're paying attention to what's going on inside of our bodies. There's like this yeah. humming. There's a vibratory intelligence um, that is really miraculous like our bodies are mm. they're, they're, they're miraculous and this numbing that you talk about it's almost like I, I, I sense that your work is like you're, un, you're unlocking all these locked places of constriction in mm. people whether it's from like staying with the numbness and or in the child state um, and liberating energy. Mm -hmm. Sure, let me explain something that uh, we've noticed, which is that uh, each of each of the kind of the new things that we've discovered in possibility management have surprised us at first. And then we recognize that the capability or facility or sensation has all been actually already there. It's inherent in us already, already functioning. We already use this stuff, but we use it mostly unconsciously to serve unconscious purposes. So we're doing all these things out of our own awareness, and yet they, they really determine our relationships and our own capacities and our and our life, and and yet uh, we're just not aware of it. And so what we're doing is step by step taking responsibility for these qualities or facets of our of our life capabilities that we have that are built in, taking responsibility for them step after step. And all of a sudden we go, yeah, I, I do this all the time. You know, for example, complaining. We are. We are master complainers. For example, mm -hmm. we can complain about things, little things, big things, international things, local things, foreign things, pains. We complain about all these things. But every time we make a complaint, we're creating a story. And, and then we believe our own story, even though we made it up. Like, you know, this service wasn't good enough, or that was a bad movie, or, or I'm, um, whatever the thing is we're complaining about, that thing is a story. But the thing is, we believe we don't know we're making up a story, and then we believe it, mm -hmm. and then we expect other people to believe our stories. Like you're invading my territory, or this is my this is this, you're insulting my belief system, or we have these complaints, 
and then we we believe our own complaints and we react a certain way based on believing our own complaints, even though it's a story we just made up a moment before. So to take responsibility for being story makers, for example, gives us an entirely new relationship to or this shift into next culture, which requires fundamental paradigm shift, meaning fundamental new stories. And um, the ability to take responsibility for being a story maker consciously is a, is a powerful and wonderful step to make, except that you don't get to complain anymore. <laughs> I love that. I love that how you wove together so many of my favorite themes um, mm. in such a new um, and vibrant synthesis. Um, I think it's really important. I, I love the Buckminster Fuller quote around, um, you know, we're not victims of um, our world where we can, we can be architects of our future. And mm. there is such a, a deep, deep victim consciousness in, in our culture. And I think that's what you were naming with this complaining. And I, I've had that. I remember uh, the network administrator for it, uh, Indie Media back 14 years ago, Micah, just a marvelous man who is so brilliant mm. with like, he he really turned me on to collective intelligence in 2000 um, and how to do that in a network in a system way. Wow. And um, he said, we, we were dealing with people all the time posting on the list. Well, we don't like this and this doesn't work and this <laughs> and that doesn't. We'd be like, oh, my God, well, you know, who are we? We're just like. And so I remember him saying to me, complaining is the lowest form of engagement. Mm. And I thought, wow, so that's how people kind of think they're engaging in things. So when you turn that around and you actually realize that then when you are the creator of the new story, mm-hmm. you step out of victimization and then you're in this new place where... Um, Oh, just the gap between what we have been told is possible and what we ourselves, when we're liberated from complaining, can actually tune into a new consciousness for what we can see as a solution. So it's Mm. like a really interesting space of like, you know, you referred to the Einstein quote. Maybe you could just... Go share with us a little bit about why that quote from Einstein is so um, directly relevant to your this work that you're doing. Yeah, let me let me first say that you're bringing up the names of some people who have contributed in in a kind of a maximum positive way to uh, the evolution of human culture. You know. Mm-hmm. We remember, particularly, you know, Maya Angelou, for example, she just died recently. Mm. And mm. We think about, you know, Nelson Mandela, who just died recently. And, mm-hmm. like, mm. um, yep. so, so there's these people mm. who are, they made ripples in, in our future. And they, how, you know, so we know their names, we know that they, what they did. And what I'm so excited about mm. is uh, some kind of a, of, of a, a process that's happening with us 
right now is needing to have that be commonplace, meaning instead of one in you know, a million people mm. mm-hmm. showing up in the world and causing positive ripples, that could be actually commonplace for us because we're designed for it. And the I think what's happening now is we're developing the vocabulary and the thought maps, you know, the way to look at things. Um, just so we see that and we can converse about it in a common way. It becomes common vocabulary for us to be able to speak about being able to take responsibility, causing uh, these uh, social entrepreneurship, uh, next culture kinds of, uh, of a context for, for that we can live into. So this is what these, these quote-unquote famous people have done, and we feel so glad about that they have done it, and it. But at the same time, what's happening more and more through the new languaging, the new distinctions, and new clarity that we're discovering, the being mm. able to talk about it like we're doing now, gives us the whole bu- ability to practice it, to actually bring it into our daily mm. lives, in our relationships, in our with our children, with our mates, with our customers, with our neighbors, you know, in a daily relationship with ourselves. You know, how are we how are we regarding ourselves? Like that whole thing. So mm. so Einstein's quote was this: he was saying you can't you can't solve problems out of the same kind of thinking that created the problems. You know, he's saying you need a new kind of thinking, and, and he didn't say what kind of thinking you need. You know, he left that for us to figure out. I mean, it's, but, it, but it's such a true thing. You go, yeah, well, that's right. It's like, how do, you know, it's, it's easy to think that I can get new results without thinking I have to change my behavior. Do you ever, do you ever do that? You ever think, well, if I keep doing the same old thing, somehow I can get new results? You know? <laughs> I know. I love that. That's the the line from Beyond Civilization by Daniel Quinn, where he says, "Old minds think, okay, this isn't working. Let's do more of it next year. <laughs> <laughs> more of the same, <laughs> yeah, and thinking something will change. You know, and that's the same thing that Einstein is saying. He's saying you've got to actually have a different context out of which you have in." a different level of responsibility for what you're doing so that you can create results different from the problem that you have. And okay, so how do you do that? And that's the whole thing that we've been researching since 75. So that's what we're so excited about is I can, mm-hmm. I watch people change mm-hmm. through, not through me, it isn't through me. I'm not some guru, teacher, wonderful leader. I'm not the, you know, what all I am is a, I'm a, a space holder. I can hold a safe space in which people can take a look at the thought where that they've been using since childhood or or before, mm-hmm. and um, and go well. Here's the consequences of that, and then consider alternatives to to thinking, you know, the different a different approach, and seeing the consequences of that, and and the the shift state, this in between state of having it be one way. And then a little while later, having it be another way, what's in between, we call it a liquid state. And that liquid state is, it causes fear. It causes grief. You know, if I'm going to change, I will need as part of that process to grieve how many years I've been doing it the painful, hard way. You know, I have to grieve the old Clinton as he dissolves, even though I've been 
with him for so long, I grieve his passing and I discover who the next Clinton is as he implements upgraded thoughtware. And it sounds kind of clinical, but it's actually kind of messy. This in-between state is a mess. And when you're in a safe space, it's okay to take this, to become conscious of your incompetence and, and, and go through, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't know that I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. And, and to sit in that and not try to have an answer, you know, not try to understand. Like understanding is so overrated. Like what's so great about understanding? You know, nothing changes. Like, you know, we're talking about like like discovering uh, an improbability, like a, a a koan kind of, and let it sit in you. Like somebody gives you feedback and they say, uh, you know. The, the way that you just talked to uh, this other person caused them to look bad. Is it really necessary to talk to them like that? And you and you go, I don't know. My dad always talked to me like that. You know, and you just sit with it. You don't get an answer. You just sit with this feedback that it, that the, the way you're being causes another person pain. And after a while, you can't do it anymore. You know, if you get changed by sitting with an unanswerable question and not trying to understand it, but rather letting it just eat you away from the inside and you and then you're transformed. Like that's that's sort of the level of of the safety kind of spaces that we work in. And sometimes the liquid state is five seconds long and sometimes it's five minutes long and sometimes it's five days long. I mean, you know, the different liquid states. But it's but if you don't have a liquid state nothing changes and we're so well defended against liquid states I mean, we're trying to look good you know we're trying to keep our act together these phrases have power and we're trying to um keep it all together or get it together and put on this show you know and have put on the happy face or whatever the whatever the model is that we're using but that thing is so well defended against the liquid state that it's that when you finally discover that liquid states are kind of great because you don't have to keep it together for a while. The whole thing reorganizes itself inside of you and you come out on the other side being a, being a better person. You know, even to your own experience, you're a better person. It just feels better and shows up better. And like that whole process is what we've been working on. Yes. So I feel like you're naming this very, very important aspect for me in my own research and life journey around the mystery and mm. the letting go and the saying I don't know and and the surrendering and the capacity to stand in the fire and to to actually hear something and to let those walls down like you're describing it as a kind of that liquid state there it is like I think for some until you actually under, can see that it has a kind of a path of its own and that it leads to a place if it's your first time through or second or tenth or hundredth or whatever it might be it's an ongoing process <laughs> it doesn't matter it's always the same it's all there's a little bit of like woo down the rabbit hole but mm. it's uh, it is that this letting go into the reconfiguring. Yeah. of of that which is really your true nature that mm-hmm. is just being revealed. And so I, I really appreciate this kind of languaging around the liquid state, which is means that 
it makes me think of the, you know, the calcification of structures that have gotten to the point of all the institutions. They're so old. You're just like, yes. oh, God, we've been using that industrial model mind to build all of our structures and education system, except now we know we're in a quantum world, but our structures yes. are still so old that, mm. that, you know, there's a pain in letting the old structures go, you know. Yeah, and, if it, and if you don't know that pain is called grief, and you don't know it's okay to experience that to 100% mm -hmm. archetypal maximum experience and be okay, if you block that, then you don't grieve and you don't change and things stay the same. It works that, mm -hmm. that straightforward. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Maybe we just we have about eight, uh, seven minutes here because we'll we'll close almost a minute before the top of the hour. Um, this is a really important piece you just named. That if we don't know, like that pain is actually the this kind of grief, and to go all the way through, it's almost mm -hmm. like if you if you hold back something because you just don't know, but if you let go and you surrender. And you let you kind of ride that liquid state. Um, what shows up for people on the on the other side? Let's say. Well, let me just say that that process doesn't work alone. You can't do this kind of work alone. Mm -hmm. You really need a listener. You need I get a it that we're in a context, a safe container that we're describing yeah. as a powerful safe container, and mm -hmm. some conditions have been set up, particularly like some of the work that you do or. Um, in these workshops and trainings. Yes, so it's the it's useful to know that as as the space holder for a process like that or a listener, you you actually um, are holding the qualities of I call them bright principles. They're all qualities of consciousness or love that's entering the space. For example, uh, the bright principles that function in the workspaces where I am are wiseness, love, high-level fun, clarity, possibility, and transformation. So these th six bright principles are like a field that when a person goes into a liquid state and things are shuffling around and reordering, the field acts as a morphogenetic field, a shape-making mm -hmm. field, that it moves in the, those directions towards more consciousness in those directions. And so it isn't a random thing, and it isn't a accidental thing. It's an intentionally held workspace, transformational space, in which the liquid state is profitable. It, it produces positive results. Because, you know, it is possible to go in a liquid state and not have a positive change. We all know that. But in, in, these, in the workspace, that's where the benefit comes from. And so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, you're talking about fields and you're talking about attractors and you're, you're talking about that higher vibration. And even just naming them, like holding this field of like yeah. with these wiseness. I mean, we each have our own versions of these and we can make them visible to ourselves. I think it's like a great community practice, like what are our, quote, bright principles? Um, you know, you named wiseness, love, fun, clarity, possibility, transformation. I mean, those are so beautiful. Um, in my own work these days, I love the Gene Keys, and so there's the gifts in the cities, and they're just mm -hmm. like these beacons of the highest expression of divinity in human, and what those those are always like kind of calling. They're like the, the they're always they're they're here. They're present, mm -hmm. and they're the evoking. So I, 
I'm curious, just in our last couple minutes, we have four minutes. Um, when, when you are about your daily life and you have some interpersonal practices that are with you at all times, they're like your personal toolkit, you know, that mm -hmm. you don't leave home without them. Mm -hmm. um, can you name one or two of them to, to just share with, with people? I'm really attentive to having my center. So it's mm -hmm. my energetic center. Because if I give my center away to an external authority figure, mm -hmm. I, I'm powerless. I, have, I can't even make choices. I have to mm -hmm. wait around for that external authority to tell me. So I'm really, mm -hmm. And then my center, I shoot a, a grounding cord that connects that center to the earth so that I'm grounded and centered. And then mm. the third practice is to have a bubble around my an energetic bubble that's you know, not, you know, it's not so far around me. It's, you know, probably a yard all the way across. And inside the bubble is my space and outside is other people's space. And the bubble's connected to the grounding cord, so it sort of acts like a lightning rod. So when, when there's just energetic garbage around, it might come towards me, people's projections or expectations or assumptions about me or mm -hmm. stories about me or thoughts about me, whatever. They come and they hit the bubble and get sucked down into the earth like fertilizer. So these three things, having my mm -hmm. center, my grounding cord, and my bubble are just the main things. And the, mm -hmm. the other tool that I really love is my sword of clarity. Oh, well, we'll have to have another conversation about the sword of clarity because I'm, I'm a, I love that as well. Well, mm. um, share with us a, a, your, the best way to reach you, your best uh, contact uh, website information. Well, about the work, the best website would be www.nextculture.org. It's just www.nextculture.org. And it talks about the work that we're doing and there's also lists of trainers. There's a calendar for trainings. There's trainings in the Western United States or in, in the Seattle area, actually, and uh, over in Germany and, and other countries, it's starting to happen more and more. So there's a calendar, and you can see the trainers on there and everything. So www.nextculture.org. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Clinton, so much for being with us. Sherry, thanks for this opportunity. It was just, uh, I look forward to the next time. <laughs> mm, me too. Okay. And I want to just... Uh, just ground for everyone in this last uh, 30 seconds here, uh, taking in what Clinton shared with us about, like, your center. So just just an, an invitation to reflect and meditate on that and contemplate that, like, bringing yourself back into your own personal sovereignty and uh, grounding into our beautiful Mother Earth. And everyone have a beautiful week. Thank you for listening to Oboe Radio's The Heart of It All. To plunge deeper into ideas, inspiration, and activities for living as love in action, visit Oboe's website at onebecomingone.org.